Our scripture reading this morning comes from Malachi chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. And our sermon today is entitled, Treasured by God. This is the Lord's word. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who fear the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. As we sort of conclude the six disputations between God and Malachi, we see this back and forth repartee between Malachi, God's servant or God's advocate or God's prophet, and the people of God trying to figure out where their relationship is. The role of Malachi as a prophet is sort of a counselor, a go-between, to show both parties exactly the nature of their relationship and how that relationship should continue to grow. In many, other, in many ways, it's much like what we all need, someone to, to help us with our marriages, with our friendships, with our relationship with our parents, perhaps. But this is even greater. This is a question of what should my relationship with God look like? And how can I stay within the parameters of that relationship to be blessed by the Lord himself? We are always seeking to have life and life to the fullness. Even in today's age of people who do not believe in God, they are looking for life. They are looking for, for any way that they can make their life a little bit more easier, a little bit more comfortable. They are looking for any hack, any guru who can tell them secrets to a fulfilling life. It's almost no different for us as Christians as well. Well, the only issue with us is for Christians is that we tend to try to look for life in all different places, try to amalgamate everything together and somehow think that to worship God and to worship the world, to care about the voices of people around us, that to please all these things will actually give us life. But we know in the heart of our hearts, we know as people who belong to the Lord, that the only way to find peace, the only way to find who we are, is to submit ourselves to God. That word submission 
that were to come underneath the authority of God. A huge part of us as rebellious people of God, we don't like that word. But once we realize that we are always submitting to someone, something, or some ideal, when we realize that our submission to the things of this world indeed does not bring peace and joy, we realize it's not the word that we don't like. It's that we don't trust the Lord himself. And if we submit unto him, perhaps we will not get the life that we so desire. In this last disputation, this is sort of the repartee between the both parties. God finally, in the end, says to them, listen, I am the one who loves you. I am the one who has spoken true words to you. I am the one who elected you. And the people in the end finally spill their hearts in a sense and say what's really on their mind. What is the profit of our keeping his charges or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. The people of God, their eyes have started to wander. And they have started to see the people around them. And they started to see how those who do not know the Lord, or those who even scoff at God, why are they happier? Why they're more successful? Why do they have bigger houses than us? Why do they have more family than us? Why does nothing wrong go with them? These arrogant people, we look at them and we call them blessed. While we, as believers of you, God, we seem to go around this world like we're mourning all the time. And so after the five disputations, we almost come to the heart of the matter, do we not? That the people of God are dissatisfied with the life that God has given them. And we don't trust in God to give us that fullness of life. I think this is endemic of every generation, of every culture, of every time period. Because this is what it means to be human, made in God's image, yet fallen. To no longer recognize God himself as our creator and the giver of all good things. 
but instead to look about us and around us and to seek life and good things from the people, from creation, from our peers, from those who have power over us. And we search from place to place to place, looking to be loved. God has a word for you and for me. First, we go back and we understand that when we look at the world around us, the measurement of success, the measurement of joy, the, the measurement of satisfaction, it's not, it's not in the temporal things of this life. All the things in this life will fade away. All the things in this life have been given to you as opportunities to foster, to nurture, to show God's grace in the midst of it. You've all been given a lot in life. And we can't say, God, I do not like my lot in life. Let me switch it. This is not a video game where you can reset and then reset and reset and reset until you get the character you want or until you get the, 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 uh, the, the, the map that you want. God, by his infinite knowledge, has given you the life that you have. The lot that has been given to you is good. And our duty before the Lord is simply to nurture all the things that God has given us with thanksgiving and with joy that the opportunities that we have are for us to grow closer to the Lord and for the Lord to show his mercy. Brothers and sisters, think about your families. We always come back to families. Some of you might have grown up going, I wish I had a different family. I wish my family life was not so difficult. Some of you might say right now, family life is difficult. I wish it was easier. It's going to get better, right, Pastor Young? It gets better, right? Or you're in school and you're like, you know what, school is hard enough. It gets better after I graduate, doesn't it? Life gets better. Things get better, doesn't it? And the answer to that question is, I don't know. You don't know. You don't know what lot God has given you. You don't know what, what God wants you to do or how the things are going to pan out. But what you do know is that God has given you what you have. And the joy for you and God is to nurture your relationships wherever they are, whatever you have. And to rejoice in God when you have those small little victories. Because for most of you, every victory that God gives you looks too small. You're always like, God, I want a little bit bigger victory. I want a little bit bigger change. 
want a bigger joy in my life. And God wants you to say, God wants you to open your eyes. And when you have that little victory in your relationships, you don't simply say to God, I want more. You say, God, thank you. Because that wasn't me, that wasn't my parents, that wasn't my spouse, that wasn't my children, that was you in the midst of it. And we share those victories with one another. We don't go around looking at the world or even looking at our brothers and sisters saying, I wish I had that life. But instead, we are able to rejoice in everyone's victory, no matter how big or small it may appear to us, because every victory in the eyes of the Lord is a big victory. When a little child comes to you and they say to you, look, I drew this picture of Adam and Eve and, and, and I learned this story about, um, about how God made them and how he made this tree. And you see excitement in their eyes. You as older people, you need to go and say, that is absolutely wonderful. You know, your joy, that little victory that you have, is my joy too. God has given you a good lot in life. God does not make errors or mistakes in the life that he's given you. In every life that is here, God has given you, believe it or not, to help the church to grow. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Even the most weakest part of the body of Christ is indispensable for the growth of the body of Christ. It's together and being able to rejoice together. So very practically, just here in our church, be aware of everyone around you. Celebrate with people when God does great things. Mourn with people when people are mourning before the Lord. But know that your story is important and their stories are important. Because together, we make the story of Christ's covenant Presbyterian Church. And we see God's love, and we see God's glory. The second thing to understand we, we see in the Psalms, especially Psalm 73, is that we need to have what we call an eschatological or an endpoint view of all things. We know that all of us will end up in the same place, those who believe in the Lord. There is this article in the New York Times about people being disillusioned with college. Sorry, students here today. There's an article saying, what's the point of going to college? 
What's the point of spending all of this money? We, we all wind up in the same place anyway. You know, you might be able to get your first job and, and get a little bit ahead, but after three, five, six years, it's, you, you wind up in the same place. And for some people that's like that, what's the, what's, what's the point of anything? It's just, let's just work and do our due diligence and we'll be able to, to make a good living or whatever it may be. There's a sense of truth in that for us as believers as well. Do you know who will have the most joy in heaven? It's those here on this earth who've depended upon the Lord the most. Regardless of how much money you have, regardless of, of how good your family situation, regardless of any of that. It's just those who depended upon the Lord the most will have the most joy in heaven. And no matter what God has given you here in this life, when we get to heaven, when the Lord returns and the new heavens and new earth can come here, we will all be in that same place, rejoicing with the Lord. No longer are we going to be like, what you major in? What do you want to do for the rest of your life? What do you think about what so-and-so is doing? But we will be rejoicing in heaven forever and ever. Those who do not know the Lord, all their gain, all their arrogance will come to nothing. But for you who know the Lord, your joy will be made full when the Lord returns. We'll all be in the same place. And so nurture what? Nurture your joy in God. Nurture your joy in Him. Whether you have plenty, whether you have not as plenty. If you have plenty, be generous. If you don't have as, as plenty, be generous still. But to long for God Himself. The people of Israel exposed their hearts at Malachi and God is trying to show them that God himself is all that is needed. Lastly, the key for all of us to be able to treasure God is found in verse 16 through 18. In fact, the book of remembrance was actually written and this is what it says in verse 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I wake up, when I make up my treasure, when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve the key for all of us in un understanding our relationship with the Lord to, to, to treasure him and to love him is to know that he treasures you. Let me say that again. The key for you to be able to love the Lord, to not be tempted by the things of this world, 
is to know that you are his treasured possession, that he loves you. That God is the one who pursued you and is pursuing you. That God is the one who will always chase you down. That God is a relentless lover of his people. And that he will not let anyone or anything stand in his righteous, jealous, good love for you. It's a love that is pure. It's a love that is perfect. There really is no greater joy, even in this life, than to be wanted. Sometimes we do things we don't want to do, but we do them because we're wanted. It's like, oh, someone wants me to do this. I don't really have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have what the resources, but they want me. So I'll say yes. Or perhaps in relationships. When you are in high school and you're sitting in the cafeteria by yourself eating. I don't know if there's anyone here like that. Someone sits there with you and wants to be your friend. You might not know them, but they want to be your friend. To be wanted. Brothers and sisters, the God of this universe wanted to know you so bad for his glory, for your good, for your good, that in order for him to pursue you, he pursued you unto death itself. In order for God himself to get to know you, to embrace you, to love you, the only path that God could take was to come from heaven to earth and from earth unto death death into Sheol, and then Sheol back into to, to his resurrection and to his ascension in heaven. He had to go through all of that to chase you, to pursue you, to love you. And it's that perfect, infinite love when we open our hearts and eyes to see that God who pursues that melts our will and heart to him. Disputation number one, God does not love us. God's pursuing me. Surely God loves me. Disputation number two, the people aren't worshiping me. Of course I'm not worshiping you because I've forgotten that you love me and you're pursuing me. The leaders of the church, they're, they're accepting half-hearted worship. Of course, because you have forgotten once again the depths of God's love for you. The next disputation. You're marrying foreign women. You are dating outside of the people of God. 
Of course, you've forgotten your lover, God himself, who loves you. Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, we must never forget what God is doing in his pursuit for us. So anytime you feel down, God is not there, or you look around this world and say, this world is, should be my oyster. Look behind you. Look inside of you. Hear the Spirit and His voice. He is chasing you with His love. Let Him catch you and experience the fullness, the fullness of His grace. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You that we are treasured by You. Lord, the world says that it treasures us. The world flatters us, Lord, with words, with coins, and with trinkets, Lord God. Forgive us, Lord, when we're all too happy to receive those things. Lord, forgive us when we hear things like, Jesus loves me, Jesus knows me, Jesus is shaping me. And Father, we treat those things as little trinkets or trifles. Renew our hearts again, Lord God, for that is Malachi's wish and your wish, the restoration of your people's joy. May we find joy in knowing that in the midst of our disobedience, in the midst of our doubts, that you are always chasing us, rebuking us. But also all this, Lord, that we may again fall in love with you and your perfect grace. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.